I'm glad that I belong to a church who sometimes were led in worship by an eighth grader. There is no junior Holy Spirit. Like, he doesn't become like full Holy Spirit when you're like 21. He's Holy Spirit all the way through, and we praise him for that. Hey, we're in a sermon series right now called Worldview and Focus, and we're looking at the eight big questions that everybody asks in their life. And how you answer those questions depends on the worldview that you have chosen, the lenses through which you have chosen to interpret and to understand the world around you. And so the big question that we're looking at today, and there's only one more of these to go, next week we're looking at the question, what happens after I die? But today we're looking at question number seven, which is this, why am I here? Why do I exist? Why am I on this planet in the year 2022? And that very question seems to imply that the human heart knows that there must be some reason I'm here. There must be some purpose I'm here for. There must be some intentionality behind my existence here. Because we naturally look at the world and we see it this way and it makes sense to us that everything has a purpose. We, we invent things with a purpose. We build things with a purpose. We write things with a purpose. We, we, we do things with a purpose. And we look at ourselves and we naturally then just wonder, well, what about me? Why am I here? What, what's, what's the point of this? What, what's my purpose in this place? And, and as we've touched on through this series, you know, the atheist or the secular humanist, they would say, well, there, there really is no purpose for you being here. We're just one big cosmic accident. And so there really is no purpose or, or meaning. There's really no intrinsic value or worth in, in you being here. And you know, here's what's happened. We have drilled that junk into the minds of generations now of young people. And then we watch here in the Birmingham metro area as somebody kills somebody every single day, and we go, why all the violence? Why all the disregard for human life, right? And we shouldn't be surprised by that. We, we act surprised these days when, sadly, it seems hardly a week goes by that I don't know somebody that knows somebody that just took their own life. And, and we act surprised by that. Everybody's walking around medicated to some degree just to try to keep their hearts and minds above sea level, right? And just be able to function in this world. And, and we act surprised when human beings, human beings are trafficked all over the world, even right here in our own communities. Why would people treat other people as if they're not people? And we act surprised by that. The truth is, Here's what surprises me. What surprises me is we're not seeing more societal decay than we're already seeing. I'm surprised it's not worse than it is because people have been, been being told for so long that, Ed, there's no purpose for you being here. There's no reason. There's no meaning. You have no intrinsic worth or value. See, a worldview of meaninglessness is driving a lot of people to do a lot of bad things. 
a lot of evil things, a lot of destructive things, a lot of selfish things in our world. Why? Because people are just asking this, well, so what? Why does it matter? It doesn't matter. He doesn't matter. She doesn't matter. I don't matter. So we do whatever we want to with anybody we want to because it doesn't matter. Nothing really matters. Now, the majority of people with a worldview that ends in meaninglessness, they may not be necessarily directly doing things that are hurtful and harmful to other people, but I think the majority of people who have bought into that, they just kind of have withdrawn into themselves with some type of passive, discouraged resignation that nothing makes sense and nothing matters and there is no meaning to all of this, so, so what's the use? See, I believe atheism is a big reason that we're in the middle of a mental health crisis right now. Now, the atheist would be quick to say, no, no, religion is why we're in the middle of a mental health crisis right now. And you know what? I wouldn't necessarily disagree with them when they say that. As I told you in this series, the popular religion in America today is something that's now being called moral therapeutic deism. It's this pseudo-fake form of biblical Christianity. Moral therapeutic deism steps into all of this madness and says, oh, no, 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 there is a God, and he's really into you. And he really digs you, and he wants you to be the best version of you that you can be. And he wants you to be really, really happy, and he wants you to be really, really nice so that everybody else can be really, really happy. And, and that's why we're all here for that purpose. And, and so we try to be really, really happy, and we do good things to try to help other people be really, really happy. And we post those good things on our social media so people can affirm us so we can be even more happy, happy, happy. And moral therapeutic deism sounds good, but living your life in the mirror, always focusing on you, is like eating ice cream all day, every day. It sort of sounds like a good idea, but it's not going to provide what you need. It's going to leave you longing for something better. And I think you know that we need something better than self-help. We need something better than hype. We need something better than inspiring motivation to be the best version of you that you can be kind of pep talks, which is what's happening really in a lot of this pseudo-Christianity we're seeing around the world today. See, atheism and moral therapeutic deism and any other worldview that's not a biblical worldview, they're all offering answers to that question, who am I? But the answers that they're offering are ice cream. They don't satisfy the human soul, the human heart. And our world's sense of futility seems to be increasingly fueled by this madness that we see around us every day. And the way I see it is, we got three options here. Why am I here? Option number one, I'm here for me. I'm here to magnify me. It's all about me. That's option one. Option two is, well, that's selfish. I want to be for you, friend. I'm for you. I want to magnify you. I want to help you. I want to serve you. I want to build you up. I I'm here for you. It's all about you. 
And, and that's not a bad thing. But the biblical worldview is the third option, which says, I'm not here first and foremost to magnify me. I'm not even here first and foremost to magnify you. I'm here first and foremost to magnify God. It's all about God. That's the biblical worldview. That answers the question, why am I here? Why do I live where I do? Why do I live when I do? Why does my life intersect with the places and with the people that it intersects with. I am where I am. I do what I do. I am around the people that I'm around. I'm in the places that I am in for one reason and one reason only, to magnify God. It's all about Him. Listen, if you live to magnify yourself or you live to magnify somebody else, what you're doing is you're taking something that, yes, is important, but it's really small, and you're trying to make it bigger than it is. You're trying to make it bigger than it's intended to be. It's like what you do when you use a microscope. A microscope is you take something that's small and you magnify something that's small to make it appear bigger than it really is. But when you talk about magnifying God, you're not magnifying God like you would with a microscope. Instead, you're magnifying God like you would with a telescope. And, and we're seeing updated images all the time right now from the web the new telescope right that's out there and it's seeing things it's seeing places in our solar system that we've never been able to see huge vast beyond our ability to even wrap our little puny brains around but through that telescope it's magnifying something that's enormous it's magnifying it in other words it's making it appear like it's closer to us to help us be able to see it better and to see it more clearly. That's what we're talking about when we talk about magnifying God. See, God's not small. God's not micro. He is bigger than our collective imaginations in this room would ever be able to conjure up. And what we are doing when we try to magnify Him is we simply want to see Him more clearly for who He really is. We want to experience Him and we want to know Him better than we had previously known Him. So why am I here? The biblical worldview says that's why I'm here. I'm here to magnify God. Or another way of saying it, and you hear this church language all the time, God, get the glory. We're here for your glory, God. God, be glorified. What are we talking about? We're talking about, God, we want you to display who you are to us. We want to see you better. We want to see you more clearly. We want to see your character. We want to see your, 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 your worth, God. We want to see you like we've not seen you before. And so when we pray things like, God, be glorified here in this place today, that's, that's what we're praying. We're saying, God, help us to magnify you, not God, help us to make you bigger than you are. We can't make God bigger than he already is, but God, help us see you better, more clearly for who you really are, for how big you really are. Now listen, wouldn't this make sense that, that if God is real and, and he created you and he stepped into our world to rescue us from sin and from death and from the grave, wouldn't it make sense to you that whatever he is most into probably is what I ought to be most into, Right? It seems to make sense to me that, that the one who is supremely wise, whatever it is that he treasures more than anything else, man, that's where I need to set my compass, right? 
that's what I want to treasure too. I, I, I want to be passionate about what God is passionate about. I want my life to orbit around what He orbits around. And do you know what God's greatest passion is? This is maybe going to hurt your heart, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. His greatest passion isn't people. He loves people, and He loves you. But His greatest passion is not to magnify you or anybody else. His greatest passion is to magnify himself. His greatest passion is to glorify himself. And I'll show you this in God's word. We're going to remember when you went to like Bible school and you're a little kid and they did sword drills and you looked up like a gazillion books of the Bible and chapters and verses. Well, we're going to do that for a minute. So just hold on to your seats. And if you just want to follow along on the screen, you can do that too. Let's start with this one. Do you know why you're here? Do you know why you're do you know why you were created? The Bible tells us Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory. You're created to magnify God. You're created to glorify God. Do you know that when God set aside the nation of Israel to be his people through which he would bring the Messiah to be the hope of the nations? Do you know why God chose Israel? Jeremiah the prophet says he chose Israel for his glory. It's for his glory. Do you remember when God defeated Pharaoh, set his people free out of Egyptian slavery? Do you know why God did that? He did it for his glory. Exodus chapter 14 verse 4. God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not getting the glory. I'm getting the glory from all of this. Remember when they got into the wilderness, the people started whining and complaining? Do you know why God didn't just kill them all? I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes if we could just kill them all, we would have killed them all. But God didn't kill them all. You know why God didn't kill them all? For his glory. That's what he tells us in Ezekiel chapter 20. When they got taken into Babylonian captivity and God brought them back to the land, you know why he did that? He did that for his glory. That's what Isaiah chapter 48 tells us. Do you know when Jesus walked in this world, do you know why he did everything that he did? Because he loved people. Yes, he loved people, but ultimately there was something bigger driving him than that. He loved the glory of his father. John chapter 7, verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there's no falsehood. Do, do you know why Jesus told us to do good things in this world? Not for humanitarian purposes, although that's great. A bigger reason, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you know why we pray? And do you know why God answers prayer? For his glory. Listen to what Jesus says, John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Does he delight to answer our prayers? Yes. Because he loves us? Yes. But more than that, he hears and he answers our prayers for the glory of God. Do you know why Jesus endured the final hours of his life, went through all that suffering? For God's glory. 
John 12, verse 27, Jesus in the garden says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, he knew the answer to the question, why am I here? He says, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's why I'm here in this moment suffering in this garden about to suffer on the cross. is that God would be glorified. Romans 3 tells us Jesus came and he died for the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25 says that he forgives us our sin for his glory. He says, I am he who blots out your transgressions or your sins for my own sake. It's for my glory that I do that. And I'll not remember your sins. Do, do you know why God wants us to be hospitable to people? Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God. Do you know why Roy and Jean are out there at that Welcome Center every Sunday? Was to help people feel welcome. Yes, that's it. We want people to feel welcome. But it's bigger than that. It's to glorify God. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is all about glorifying God, specifically the Son of God. John chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He, that's the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. Jesus talking. He'll glorify me. That's what He does. He's glorifying the Son. Did you know that Jesus, or, or Paul, the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians, he just blanket statement says, hey, whatever you're doing, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Listen to what he says. So whether you eat or drink, is there anything more mundane in the world than eating something, than drinking something? Paul says when you eat that biscuit, you do it for the glory of God. When you drink that coffee, you do it all for the glory of God. He says whatever you do, whatever, that's a big word right there, y'all, whatever you do. If you're doing something that it is impossible to glorify God in it, then you ought not be doing that because whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. He tells us in 1 Peter that whatever we do in, in the way that we're serving God is to glorify Him. He says, Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. How many would testify this morning, God, God's changing my life. I mean, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but praise God, I'm not where I was. Anybody say that? Do you know why God's up to that in your life? For God's glory. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, more love, more knowledge, more discernment. God's changing me. Verse 10, why? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Why? Fill with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Why? Ultimate why? To the glory and praise of God. Did you know that everybody's under judgment for doing what? For dishonoring the glory of God. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the Glory of God. That's what sin is. It's falling short of God's glory. When we were preaching through the book of Acts, I don't know if you remember this, it's been a while, but do you remember at one point Herod gets struck dead? Do you know why he got struck dead? 
Check it out. Acts 12, 23. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. God ain't playing, y'all. I thought he wanted me to be happy. He's into more than your temporary happiness. I promise you that. God is into God. God is into his glory. And Jesus' ultimate aim and everything that he did, J.D., was to help us see his glory. John 17, 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. Why? To see my glory. And do you know what God's ultimate plan is for this world? God's ultimate plan for this world, next week we're talking about what happens after I die. God's ultimate plan for this world is that one day he's going to fill this whole earth with the glory of mankind. Does that sound good to you? It shouldn't. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And do you know why the Bible says Jesus is coming back? In the context of talking about the return of Christ, 2 Thessalonians 1.12, Paul writes, So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. That's why he's coming back. So would you agree with me that it is fair to say that all of God's involvement, all of God's interaction in his creation, all of his involvement with us on planet Earth, all of that is aimed at this one thing, his own glory, that he would be made much of, that he would be exalted, that he would be magnified in all things. Now, let me ask you this question, because people are asking this question about God. Well, doesn't that seem selfish of God to be all into himself? Doesn't it sound like God is kind of needy to always be going, hey, worship me, praise me, magnify me, glorify me, I'm the best. Hey, over here. Does it not sound like God is some kind of megalomaniac to you? I mean, none of you want an earthly relationship with somebody saying that kind of stuff. And yet, here's God. I've even heard some even accuse God of being a narcissist. Is that the case? Is God a narcissist? The answer to that today that I will show you is a big, fat, resounding, absolutely, heck no. See, if God, for one nanosecond, if for one nanosecond he became more passionate about anything in creation more than himself, he would be implying through that decision that there is more treasure to be found somewhere other than himself. If God, for one nanosecond, turned his eyes away from himself as the greatest, the most supreme, and became passionate about something else in all of his creation more than himself he would be implying that there is a greater source of joy that you could find than what he has to offer you 
You see, if just for one nanosecond, God turned away from being first and foremost about himself, he would be guilty of the sin of idolatry. The sin of idolatry is putting anything before God. Well, if God ever put anything before God, that makes God a sinner. And then you and I have no hope. Because where are you and I going to go for hope? Where are you and I going to go for salvation? If God goes off the rails, there will be no more hope. Here's what I want to say to you today. Maybe this will be on the screen. I'm not sure. But if it's not, you ought to write this down. The most loving thing that God can do for us, the most loving thing God can do for us is remain faithful to God. The most loving thing God can do for us is to remain faithful to himself. Think of it like this. You know, God's got your best interest at heart. I know he does. I believe that with all my heart. He wants you to have the greatest joy possible in this life and in the life to come. I believe that. But your greatest joy is never going to come from magnifying self. Your greatest joy is never going to come from magnifying others. Your greatest joy is never going to come from magnifying anything in all of creation. Let me explain it this way. Let's say that you are a tour guide for a a sightseeing company. If you're going to Israel with me next spring, we'll have a tour guide, and, and you better hope we have a good one. Because let's say that you're a tour guide for, for some company and people have been saving up a long time because they want to see this thing. It's on their bucket list, right? They've heard of it. They, they, they've seen images of it on the internet. They've even watched some videos on YouTube about it. But they know, man, none of this. I mean, you can't do this justice, Right? And they know, I got to go and I got to see this for myself. And it's on their, their bucket list and they've saved up for so long and they've looked forward to this for so long. They just want to come and see it and just for a moment, just take it in, right? Just stand there and just savoring something that is just spectacular, that just leaves them breathless, right? That they can just go, man, I am so glad that I got to look upon this before I died. Now, if you really care about them at all, as any kind of decent tour guide, when they get there, wouldn't you make sure that you pointed them to the very most spectacular thing that they could see, that they could behold? Like, if they've come to see the Grand Canyon and you are their tour guide, are you only going to Take them to the gift shop and go, hey, listen, look around. Check all this out. Isn't it something? Huh? Have you seen the shot glasses with the picture of the Grand Canyon on it? Ooh. How about that? Huh? Glad you came, right? Glad you came. All right. Have a good day. Bye now. Would you do that? No. Any decent tour guide wants to take these people out and wants to blow their mind, wants to just blow them away with what they're seeing. Good tour guides want to hear you go, oh my gracious, 
They want to hear the oohs, and they want to hear the ahs. That's what these people are after, and a good, good tour guide wants to deliver that to them. It is this joy, this experience that they're trying to attain, and you do not want to deny them of that, right? What kind of wicked, lazy tour guide would you be if you just went, well, it's so hot out there today, so, but we're going to stay in here in the gift shop because it's amazing in here, right? Have you seen the stuffed animals, right? A t-shirt, two for 20, huh? How wicked, how wicked would God be? if he pointed us to something other than God, how wicked he would be if he did not day after day say, Shannon, no, no, over here, son. Over here, look, look this way. Hey, you're missing it. I, I know you think the Grand Canyon shot glass section is something, but I am telling you, listen, over here, look, look at me. Look this way. God is the great and the faithful and loving tour guide of our lives. And so when he says, Mark, stop looking over there. Stop obsessing with that. Look over here. That is not narcissistic of God. That is supremely loving of God to constantly draw our attention onto himself. To say, you don't want to miss this. This is why you're here. Look at me. Pursue me. Eyes up, chin up. Look here at me. Don't get distracted by all the little trinkets in the gift shop. That's not why you're here. The trinkets. That's the question today, right? That's the question. Why am I here? You're not here for the trinkets in this world. Oh, God's given us some amazing gifts in this gift shop. But you're not here for the gifts. You're here for the giver of those gifts. You're not here to make much of the gifts that he's given you. Oh, he's given me a great career. That's what I'm about. That's a trinket. Oh, my team, my stuff, my hobbies, my home, my family. Oh, family's a great trinket, right? But man... That's not even why I'm here either. My family gets blessed when I keep in mind with the truth of why I know I'm here, really, right? So many people are looking for joy and purpose in the gift shop of life. But God's calling you to step out and to see him and to savor him and to experience joy that you can't buy in the gift shop. Now you tell me, is he not a loving God? How loving can he be? Because he's what human souls are made for. He's what our human souls are craving for, and he knows that, and so he keeps calling us back to the only one who can satisfy, the only one who can provide that lasting joy. Yes, God is passionate about his glory because he's passionate about us. 
And if God's passionate about his glory, then shouldn't we be passionate about his glory? I mean, if his glory is what he is supremely into, then doesn't it make sense? That's what I ought to be supremely into. And I think most of us would say, hey, yeah, I mean, I am about God's glory. Sometimes. I mean, there's those moments that it's like crystal clear. And I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm in. Yes, God, be glorified. But if most of us are honest, we would say a lot of times we are so distracted by far lesser things. Far lesser things. As I stand here, I'm even just, this is not my notes, but as we were singing a minute ago, I just thought of how my soul is so thirsty for the Lord. And coming to church for me has been a season where Man, my eyes have been on the other stuff, trying to figure stuff out and new place and dealing with complaints. And and I just stood there going, God, I'm so tired of all the earthly mindedness. I'm so tired of the gift shop thinking. God, would you just lead me out to the edge to behold who you really are? That's what I want on Sunday. It's also what I want on Monday and Thursday. I think you do too. So I know what time it is, and don't freak out when I tell you this, but I want to answer this question. Why do we struggle then to be passionate about God's glory? Why do we, be, why do we struggle to be passionate about God's glory? So don't freak out, because I'm going to do this quick. I'm going to tell you eight potential reasons. <laughs> Eight potential reasons that you may be struggling to be passionate about God's glory. Number one, an unbalanced schedule. An unbalanced schedule. You're either too busy or you're too bored. Kind of comes down to that. That can contribute to not being passionate about God. You're too busy or you're too bored. Some of you are give, 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 give constantly. Some of you are take, 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 take too constantly, right? That could be a reason. Another reason you may be struggling to be passionate about God's glory is unused talent. Paul writes, or Peter writes, rather, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. See, if you don't use your talent that God has given you, if you don't use your talent from God, you're going to lose your passion for God. If you don't use your talent from God, you're going to lose your passion for God. Number three, third reason you may be struggling to be passionate about God's glory, unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Guilt will rob you of your joy. Guilt will rob you of your passion for God and for his glory. Did you know this? You can't feel guilty about sin and passionate about God's glory at the same time. So that may be why you're not passionate about God's glory today, because you're busy being guilty over unconfessed sin. Here's good news. You can confess it and he'll forgive it. 1 John 1, 9. Number four reason you may be struggling to be passionate about God's glory. There's an unresolved conflict. Conflict just drains us and takes our attention off God's glory. It's tough, man. Having a good day. Everything's rocking. And then here comes the thing, man. And suddenly somebody's just sucked the zippity right out of your doodah, you know? Unresolved conflict. we got to forgive, get our mind on things above, and move on. 
Number five, fifth thing that may contribute to lack of passion for God's glory, an unsupported lifestyle. Here's what I mean by that. You've surrounded yourself with people who do not support you in being passionate about God's glory. You have surrounded yourself with people that you have common interests with, but those interests are not the glory of God. You've not surrounded yourselves with eagles who say, hey, let's soar up there and see him today. You have surrounded yourself with turkeys. Unsupported lifestyle could be keeping you from being passionate about God's glory. Sixth reason that you may be being passionate, unpassionate about God's glory, an unclear purpose. You just forgot. Today you've been reminded. Maybe some of you today are going, oh yeah, that's why I'm here. I forgot. I've made it about the gift shop. I've made it about all the stuff in my life. I've made it about all these other things, and I forgot. Unclear purpose. So when you forget why you get out of bed, you forget why you drink the coffee, you forget why you eat the biscuit, you forget why you pay the bills, you forget why you change the diapers. When you forget all that's for the glory of God, now you have motion without meaning. And that's madness. Seventh reason you may not be passionate for God's glory today is you have an undernourished relationship with God. Your relationship with God is undernourished. You've neglected your relationship with the Lord. So tomorrow when the trials come, the challenges come, the difficulties come, the distractions come, your soul tends to be suffocated because you have failed to nourish it properly in your relationship and in your walk with the Lord, neglecting time in prayer, neglecting time hearing from God out of his word, and that could be causing this lack of passion for his glory in your life. And there's an eighth and final reason you may not be passionate for God's glory, and it's this, because you don't really know him. That's why you never really think about his glory because you don't really know him. Scariest thing to me that Jesus ever said is when he says there's coming a day that people are going to stand before me and they're going to hold up their resume and say, look at all these amazing things that I did for you. And Jesus said they will be looked at by God and they will be told, depart from me because I've never known you. And maybe you're here today and you've checked all the boxes, and man, you got an impressive Bible Belt, church going, mama loving, praise God kind of resume, but you don't know Jesus, truly. And if you're scratching your head today and going, I don't know why, I don't know why I've been satisfied with the gift shop, that may be why. Because you've not allowed the Holy Spirit to lead you out of the gift shop and to stand face to face with your, the one who died to be your Savior. And if you don't truly know him today, I wouldn't leave this place until you know him. Two of our teenagers came down at the end of the first service to say, hey, we didn't know him either until Friday night. And sitting at home Friday night, Holy Spirit walked us out of the gift shop and said, here's Jesus. Do you trust him? And they said, yes. And maybe today the Holy Spirit's walking you out of this gift shop you've been just circling in for so long. Oh, the shot glasses and the stuffed animals and the T-shirt and all the Jesus-y stuff. But no Jesus. 
If the Holy Spirit's grabbing you today to walk you out of that shop, go. Because you're about to encounter something that's going to leave you speechless, breathless, and forever, forever change your life. Maybe up to this moment, your purpose has been misplaced. Maybe you, you do know the Lord, but it's been misplaced. Maybe you've been outside the gift shop, but man, you got sucked back in. And the trinkets are amazing. I mean, your retirement truly is an amazing gift from God, but it's a trinket. And that house you're living in, wonderful gift from God, but it is a trinket in the gift shop. That new fancy rod you rolled up in here with today, smooth gift from God, no doubt, but trinkets. That's all it is. Today, would you trade the trinkets of the gift shop for the treasure of God himself? For his glory. There's reasons we don't stand in gift shops and take pictures. They're never going to believe this. The stuff in the gift shop is intended to point us toward what really is meant to be remembered. And all this stuff, Roger, the good gifts that God's given us, man... We're obsessing over that, but we're never meant. We weren't created to be making much of this stuff, man. All this stuff is to remind us of where it came from and who it came from. What kind of tour guide would God be if he just walked around this place today and saw you lost in the gift shop and just passed you by? Say, enjoy that. Rock on with that. Yeah. You've been standing there looking at those shot glasses a long time. I know they say my name on it, say Jesus on it. What kind of God would he be if he just left us in the gift shop today? Well, if you're in the gift shop today, that's not his desire. He has showed up here today to walk you out. And to magnify, to glorify himself before you today so that you see him more clearly than you've ever seen him. That you would embrace him more dearly than you've ever embraced him. And that not only that, but through you, you would become his little web telescope through which other people can see him too. If you're tired of an unfulfilled life and you're tired of a joyless soul, his glory is what you're made for. His glory is what you want. His glory is what you've been longing for. His glory is what you need. His glory is what you've been searching for. His glory is the two-word answer to today's question, why am I here? His glory. That's why I'm here. So, God, we bow before you today. And we're asking you, God, to help us step away from the stuff in the gift shop of life. We're, we act like spoiled little six-year-old brats who are just bent, bound, and determined that if I don't have this trinket, I'm going to die. If I don't have this trinket, it ain't worth it. And we're pitching fits every day to have cheap trinkets that are so easily broken and never satisfy. God, you have created us to thirst for you. And God, I pray that today even though we have drunk deeply for so long from other wells in this world, that today we would come to know for ourselves that none of those compare to you.
that today we would know that you alone are the satisfier of the human soul. God, would you be that to us today? Holy Spirit, would you just step into this this little gift shop we have here? It's filled with a lot of Jesus-y stuff. Holy Spirit, you don't offer Jesus-y stuff. You offer Jesus. So would you guide us and lead us to him today? Maybe like those girls today for the very first time, or maybe for some of us, would you lead us to him for the first time in a long, long time? going to stand in just a moment. Before we do, I want to ask you to do this. This is our last moment together on this first day of the week to worship God in this room. And if you can just stick in this room with us while we worship God, would you do that? I know there's emergency sometimes. I get that. I just don't think I'm the only one that today just is saying, God, I'm, 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 I'm just hungry, God, for you. I'm, I'm really, I am burned out on having to think about and talk about all the stuff in the gift shop. And God, I just want to stand on the edge of the canyon and see you with fresh eyes today. So I want to invite you to stand. And we want to worship the Lord together today you decide, gift shopper God, this is your call.